0: are finishing up our series today, actually, our Under Construction series. If you've been here, you know what we've been doing. We've been uh, talking about the fact that uh, the Bible tells us that we are being built spiritually. We are being like a spiritual house is how this walk of faith is in our life. And uh, we've been talking about the aspects of that and how that works out in our life. The last couple of weeks have been about, talked about perseverance and selflessness. And uh, today we're going to finish it out with a topic that's uh, always tons of fun. And so uh, I'm going to save the topic for you until we get through the text verse this morning, I'm gonna keep you in suspense. So, if you would stand with me please in honor of reading God's word together, we're gonna, we're gonna take the very words of Jesus out of the Sermon on the Mount, out of Matthew 6 and verse 19. This is Jesus speaking, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So uh, today we're going to be talking about money and I just felt it get a little bit tighter in here. So, Um, it's okay. We're gonna talk about generosity today. The title of my message is Money Talks. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your presence in this place. God, we are so blessed to be able to come into your presence and to worship you and to just come as we are, God. We're so grateful that you love us so much. And Lord, we know that you are the one that transforms us. You are the one through your word that brings life into our bodies. So would you do that today in these next few minutes that we have together, God? We pray that you'd be glorified, that you would work on us and teach us your ways, O God, and help us to live for you wholeheartedly. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. All right, so we're going to talk about money today. Now listen, I want to start with a little transparency, okay? Um, I do not like preaching sermons on money. In fact, if you're here, if you've been here for a while, you know that's not something we do frequently. I don't avoid the topic in general. I think it's important that we talk about money and the effects it has on our life, but to dedicate a whole sermon to it is a whole nother thing, uh, because I'm very fully aware of the stereotypes with pastors and ministers uh, wanting your money and the church just wants my money, and so um, I I don't go into this flippantly today, uh, because I believe that God has uh, led me down this road and I want to be obedient to him. Uh, the reality is there's about three different responses, three different kinds of people, different responses when we talk about money in the church. First you have the, those that were, are excited. They're the ones that would say, I'm here for it, because they, they know the word, they've studied it, they've experienced God's faithfulness in their life through generosity, and so always looking for more nuggets of truth that they can apply to their life because they've really uh, just trusted God with it. And then there's those that are uh, a little more indifferent about it, maybe a little apathetic, Uh, Maybe because you haven't had good teaching on it, or you've had no teaching on it, and you just kind of feel like God really doesn't care about my money, and so it's not really that big of a deal, you just haven't really put a lot of effort towards it. And then you have the cynic, who is the one that uh, will probably want to tune me out over these next few minutes, maybe catch up on your social media surfing, uh, or maybe paying attention to try to find something that you can um, say is an aha moment where you've caught me in something where it is true that I just want your money. Um, And I know enough to know that that usually comes from hurt. That comes from a place of uh, being under a a ministry where you've been abused or manipulated into giving. I'm I'm horrified by how many supposed ministers of the gospel manipulate and twist scripture to get people to give them money to, oftentimes to advance their own agenda. Um, I can promise you I would rather die than manipulate anybody into giving anything. This is not a sermon to try to get you to give more money to new hope. This is about living the principles of generosity in our life. And frankly, if you're here today and you're a guest or you're here today and you wouldn't say that you're a Christian, we don't expect or ever ask for any of your money. That's not what we're here about. We're the 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 funding that comes into this church is of the people that are part of this church that believe in the ministry here that are sowing seed and sharing resources so that we can all do this together. So, I am not uh, I'm I'm not going to try to talk you into giving any money today. The ushers are not going to come up and force you to get out your wallets, okay? So you can all just relax and, uh, and enjoy this. I believe it'll give you some good truth and, and challenge you in the area of generosity in your life today, okay? Because that being said, as much as I don't really like uh, preaching a whole message on this, I also fear God. And I know that I'm gonna stand before God one day and I'm gonna be held into account for what I've taught and for what I haven't taught. And I believe that money is so important. Uh, for those of you that don't think God cares about your money, I can promise you he cares whole heartedly about your money, and it's because of my text verse where Jesus said that your money and your heart are attached. Where your treasure is, your heart is. God cares about our heart, so you have to deal with the aspect of money. That's how our society works, and that is where our heart goes. And so it's so important that we understand biblical truth. And the great thing is that the Bible has amazing truth about our money. Amazing truth. You know, the Bible says, Paul said in Galatians 5 that it was for freedom that Christ set us free, no longer to be subject to a yoke of slavery, right? That is, there, there's so many types of freedoms that Jesus came to give us. One of them is in our finances. I believe that with all of our heart. I believe it. if you live your life based on the biblical principles that you can win financially in your life. I really believe it. Whether you give a nickel to this church ever in your life is irrelevant when it comes to living free in your finances. God has called us to be completely and utterly free in our finances. And can somebody say amen? amen? Amen. So we'll start with Jesus. Obviously my text verse, Jesus was talking about money, but um, in, in the Bible we see that he actually, there's, there's approximately 38 parables that he gave in the Bible, okay? 16 of those parables mention money. In fact, it, if you look at all of his teaching, about 25% of his teaching involves money. Now, could you imagine if one out of every four sermons here at the church, if once a month we did a whole sermon on money, I'd eventually be preaching to Joy and the kids. Because you guys wouldn't want to hear it every week, right? But Jesus talked a lot about it because of the fact that it is so important and because our hearts are connected, our treasure and our heart is connected. For instance, I have treasure in my house. I put a lot of money into my house, so I care more about my house than you do. If my air conditioner breaks, I care a lot more about that than you do. I'm speaking from experience because it happened this summer and so nobody was coming to me saying oh i'm so worried about your air conditioning you know probably because most of you didn't know but the fact of the matter is where your money is where your treasure is your heart will be there as well that's going to be what you care about the bible has over 500 verses in it on prayer there's 500 verses in the bible on prayer and there's plus or minus 500 on faith that's a lot of verses on those two very very important subjects right and but I want to guess on how many verses there are all about money? Two thousand. Four times more verses on money than prayer and faith in your Bible. That tells me God cares a lot about it. God's very deliberate and intentional about talking about money, and it's because of the fact that it has so much power in our life. We are deceiving ourselves if we want to try to be oversaved and act like money has no power. Money is incredibly powerful in your life, and it's okay. It's supposed to be. It's designed that way. The society functions that way. And it can be really, really exciting. That's why Jesus has to address it. That's why it's addressed all through the Bible is because anything that's that exciting in our life is something that we can get off the rails on, right? For some of you, you're wired probably one of two ways. Some of you, you are a spender and you get really excited to have money and spend it, right? It just makes your day to be able to go out and spend. Some of you get really excited to see that you're saving money and your 401K is growing, right? Every marriage has one of each, usually. Ours definitely has that. I'm going to keep you in suspense as to which one is which. (laughs) But you have to have both, because if you're both savers, you'll never do anything. You'll be the most boring people in the world. And if you're both spenders, you'll end up living in a ditch. So it's good to have both in a marriage in most situations. But money is just so powerful in our life. And it's why Jesus talked about it so much. Unfortunately... It's one of those things that for many of us, we have told God to keep your hands off. You know, generosity is a spiritual principle in our life. I know you can, be spirit, you, can be gener- you can be generous without being a Christian, but ultimately it is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual trait in our life. That's why we're talking about it in this series. It's just as spiritual as selflessness, forgiveness, thankfulness, faith, grace in our life. It's just as important in our life as any of those other principles is generosity, but we can struggle with it and tell God to keep our hands off of it. And I know enough to know that there's a lot of people in this room, a lot of people listening, that are struggling in your finances. And it's not supposed to be that way, church. It's really not. I know there's some of you that are living week to week, that if you missed a paycheck, you might be in trouble, living with no margin, having to just get by. You know, credit card debt. I, I, I just looked up this week, the average American household has five to $8,000 of unpaid credit card debt. We're paying that 19 or 29% interest on that, on that money. I know that there's a lot of people that are dealing with financial issues in their life. And part of it is because we have told God to leave our finances alone. That we want to control that on our own and we reap what we sow when we do that. The principles of God's word have set us up to, to win financially. And the reality is that buying and having stuff and, and functioning within that system is something that, for a lot of us, it makes us feel significant. We don't like to admit it, but you know, the first thing you do when you meet somebody, oftentimes, you ask them what they do. And when they tell you what they do, you kind of measure them up, like, okay, you're a, you're that, so you're probably making this much. So I'm, you're better than me, so I need to walk away, right? <laughs> we wouldn't do that, but you know what I mean. We are, we're constantly looking at those, at, at how significant a person is by how much money they might make or how much they might have. It's, you see it in society all over the place. And for, for us as just human beings what we see in our society is that many of us would rather be paying 20% interest rate on a credit card than to feel insignificant. That's really what it boils down to. So what that tells me is that we have to change our perspective about what significance actually looks like. The reality is we're significant because Jesus loves us. But I'm not naive enough to think that that's enough for us every day. It should be, but it's not. Because we do live in this world. And so that's the challenge for us, is to not let the the amount of money we spend or have or make to determine how significant we feel. That's a huge challenge for us in our life. So what I want to do is I want to kind of give you some truth out of my text verse today. I want to share a few more verses with you too outside of that, but kind of going through my text because what Jesus said in this sermon was so powerful. I mean, this, just that my text I could probably preach on a month because of all the truth that he gave us in that. But one of the most important truths that I want to start off with and pull out of this verse is that you cannot serve two masters. This is something we have got to get in our heads and in our hearts. He says you cannot serve two masters. That word serve there, that word really means obey. It's where your allegiance lies. He says you cannot be aligned to money and to God. You can't do it. But what we have done, especially in Western culture, is we have decided that we have cracked the code and that we have beat that that we do serve both God and money. I can do that. I can, I can love money. I can love all, my, all the stuff I have and be completely enthralled with it and kind of tell God to keep his hands off of it, but then I'll step out of that, and I'll come to church, and I'll worship God, and I love God, and I, I want your blessings, and I want all these things, but kind of keep your hands off. And so we feel like we've beat him, beat that system to where we are serving both. But Jesus, knowing our heart and knows the heart of man better than any of us could ever dream of hoping to know, tells us that it is fundamentally impossible. It cannot be done. And we need to have enough self-awareness to be able to believe it, know it, and look at what that looks like in our life. Am I ser- You're either serving God or money in your life. And he says you cannot feasibly, possibly serve both. I heard a pastor say one time, I thought it was really good, he says every Christian has a, in, in your uh, transmission, you have a demonic gear that will deceive you. You know, you know, of all the people that have ever lied to you in your life, the person that has lied to you infinitely more than anyone else in your life is you. We lie to ourselves more than anyone else could ever lie to us, could ever dream about lying to us. We lie to ourselves. We convince ourselves all the time of things that aren't really true, but we just want so desperately to believe it that we convince ourselves it's true. I can love money, and I can really go after it and be completely driven and even a little bit greedy and selfish and still love God. We've convinced ourselves of it especially in a blessed society. We see it every day. And it's something that all of us, on some level, have to deal with it in our life. We have to, we're confronted with it all the time in this culture, every single day. And the problem with all of this is that our mindset is not in the right place, because we do think we can serve both. And what we are is we're somewhere between Solomon and Job. Okay, if you know your Bible, you. You don't even have to know your Bible to probably know about Job and even a little bit about Solomon. But Solomon was the, one of the kings of Israel, right? Richest man in the world. Had everything a human could have ever wanted on the earth at that time. There was nothing that existed on the earth that he couldn't have if he wanted it. More money than anyone has ever dreamed about having. He would throw parties that were so expensive. It was, there was these parties were more expensive than the money you would make in a lifetime he was spending on one party. I mean, just lavish, lavish living. He had all the money, all the power, all the authority, everything that a man could ever want in his life. And yet when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, which Solomon wrote, you see that he talks about it and he says all of these things are what? Meaningless. He says totally meaningless. He has it all, he didn't lose it, he still had it. But he realized as he got later in life, it's all meaningless. He had a thousand women, meaningless all the money, meaningless, it doesn't matter. And then you got Job here on the other end who had everything he could want. He was a wealthy man, he was blessed, God had blessed him. He was a good person, he loved God. All of it was taken from him. Like in a moment, it was all gone. His kids, his wealth, everything was gone except for his wife who was basically telling him, hey, you just need to curse God and die. So he lost everything. And he knew he had gotten to a place where he knew all he had was God. That's all he had. And so he was at a great place when it comes to trusting his God once he realized that was his only option because that's all you can do, right? And so that's exactly what he did. And God restored all of his stuff. So none of us are ever gonna be Solomon where we're the richest human in the the universe or in the world. If you are, I'm glad you're here. Please start tithing here. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) That was not good. So you got the richest man in the world, Solomon. None of us are, right? And then you got the guy that lost everything. Both of them came to a place where they realized the stuff didn't matter. Both of them came to a place where they realized it's about him. The problem with you and me is neither one of us will ever be that person. We're gonna always be in the middle. We're gonna be in that place where we're gonna be like, you know, if I just had a little bit more, it'd be a lot better. Now, I don't don't wanna be Solomon, but "Mm, man, I could just you know, I could just use a little more. And we live in this perpetual state of just a little bit more, just a little bit more. We're like uh, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, who they asked him, how much is enough? You know, he was hugely rich. And they said, how much is enough? He said, just a little more. And that's how we live too. We're just on a different level than him, right? But it's all the same heart. God cares about the heart in our life. Money is one of those, one of the few things in life that has control on some level over everybody. Every one of us, money has some control in our life. There's not many things that we could say that about that it affects every human being on the planet. Just think about the power that money has. Number one reason for divorce, money. Hands down, it's not even close. It's always the number one reason that people get divorced. It tears down relationships. You wanna see a family get torn apart? Have someone in the family die that has a lot of money and didn't have a will. I've seen, I mean, I'm talking major major breakdown in the family because of money. Money is something that it can change people. Some of you may have even known people that came into money somehow an in inheritance or got a really good job and you could see their, their net worth was growing and it changed them. You got to where you think, eh, I don't wanna be around that person. Right. Money's what pushed Judas over the edge to betray Jesus. Right. Money is very, very powerful and it has control in all of our lives on some level. And it is a huge determining factor in keeping us from being sold out for Jesus. And that is where you and I need to take notice. Because it has power in ways that we don't even always recognize in our life. And it will keep us from being sold out for Jesus in our life. Many times, many people are willing to stay very shallow in their faith rather than actually trust God with their money. Because you can't serve two masters, so you serve the money. Many would say we want to love Jesus more, but the reality is we would probably respond like the rich young ruler. Many of you know the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, Jesus is out and this, this young man who was very wealthy came to him and he said, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Or actually calls him a good teacher. And Jesus says, starts rattling off some of the 10 commandments, says these are the things you need to do. And the young ruler is so excited because he says, oh good, I've been keeping all those since I was young. But Jesus saw his heart, because again, Jesus doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. So he spoke to his heart. Matthew 19, verse 21, look what it says. It says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. There's that treasure again. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now listen, it's easy for us to look at this guy and think, man, he so missed it. He so missed it. Can I tell you, the Lord has revealed it to me that I am that guy. Because he came to Jesus, here's how he came to him. Jesus, I'm all in. What do I gotta do? Tell me what you want from me. I am ready to go. I believe that you are who you say you are. I am all in on you. And Jesus says, I want your money. And he goes, what? He was all in until Jesus said, I want your money. How often do we do that? We say, we're all in, Jesus. Well, I want you to turn over your finances to me. I I want you to trust me with all of your money. And if I say, I want you to do something extreme or outrageous or do something outside of the realm of what seems feasible to you and your culture, then we say, whoa, wait a minute. I don't know about that. And we go away sad because we have great wealth. Can I tell you this rich young ruler, we like to think of ourselves as not being some high powerful rich young ruler in this situation. But when when you live in this culture we live in, pretty much all of us are rich by the world's standards. There's people that work all day for a dollar. There's people that work just to hope maybe at the end of the day have enough money to get some food so they can have dinner. I'm telling you, if you live in this culture, you are rich. And that richness is what keeps us from being sold out for Jesus. It works against us. How crazy is that? The very blessings of God in our life can cause us to serve those blessings instead of him because he wants your heart. So we have to realize and remember that we cannot serve two masters. Also he says to store up treasure in heaven. That's what he says in that verse. He said in the verse in Matthew 19 too. He talks about this a few times. The good news out of this is that God wants you to have treasure, church. He wants you to have treasure. He doesn't want us to be poor and penniless and paupers and have nothing. He says I want you to store up your treasure but I want it to be in heaven. Now, this is where we can kind of get off track because this can kind of seem ambiguous to us, right? We don't know a lot about the treasure in heaven that God is promising us when we are generous and when we commit our finances and our, all of our stuff to him. What we do know is what Jesus says is that it is from God. Anything from God is gonna be a good thing. And we also know that it will last forever. He says, moth and rust do not destroy. So treasure from he- treasures in heaven is a very good thing. He tells us that the the, the one of the interpretations of this is that it's going to be rewards that we get in heaven. If you, do a, if you do a Google search on treasures in heaven, you're gonna get a lot of wacky teachings, okay? So don't believe everything you read. But you can you could search it, but you gotta be careful what you read because there's a, I know, believe it or not, there's some untruths on the internet. But what you see is that treasure in heaven, a lot of it pertains to the rewards that we're going to get, which is hard for us because what does that mean? Well, we don't, we don't know. We don't know a lot of it. We just know that it's going to be really, really great. And Jesus says we should go for that because it's going to work out pretty well. And it's never going to go away. Paul talks about it too in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. Look at what he says here. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Can somebody say amen? amen? Wealth is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That's for when we are in heaven with Jesus. the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's my favorite part of that whole thing, to take hold of the life that is truly life. What he's saying here is you've been sold a bill of goods about what the good life is. It's a lie. The American dream is a lie when it comes to the real good life. There's nothing wrong with the American dream, but we're talking spiritually. We're talking about living a life as a follower of Jesus. The good life isn't really about this life so much, not nearly as much as it is the life that is truly life, which is the life that's going to be in the coming age. You see, good life is really about being generous. Paul says it here. He says to be generous, be willing to share, do good, be rich in good deeds. That's the good life that Paul talks about for us for today. And what we're doing is we're just stewarding what's already God's anyway. We're stewarding what is God's anyway. That's how it is possible to be generous in life even if you've been taken advantage of or manipulated or even abused in your finances by somebody in your life whether a minister whether a boss a teacher whoever the reason we can continue to be generous even if we've experienced that is because the generosity we we exhibit in our life is not as much about for that person as it is about glorifying god this is why for me i could say it, when you see a, a homeless person on the side of the road at you know an off ramp but a Bobby Jones or I-20 somewhere, asking for money. That's why I don't have an issue with giving that person money. Because, and I'm not naive. I know that there's a good chance that you know, some of that money is going to be used for things that may make this person's life even worse or maybe part of what got them into the situation in the first place. We all know that, right? But the reality is if I don't give them anything, I'm giving them no chance. right? And so, frankly, if I give something and that person uses it for something that's not good, I'm still living out the principles of God's word. I'm still be doing good to others. I'm being generous. I'm, I'm sharing with others. We can't always make the determination that like, well, I just don't think that that person's gonna do what I want, would want them to do with it, so I'm not gonna do it. That's incre- that is that is completely being about us and what it looks like for us and wanting to, Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't sow into good soil. I'm, I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. That's, that's a real thing too, but to be completely cut off from things that, well, it just has to, look the way I want it to look. It's not really necessarily lining up with God's work. In fact, you know, there was a time, this was, oh, I don't know, 12 years ago probably, where Joy and I were in business, and I, was getting, I got to a place where I was really worried about money. And it wasn't even really totally justified, but I was worried, and frankly, if I'm brutally honest, I, the greed was starting to pull at me, I could feel it in my life, and I didn't like how it felt. And I remember Joy and I talking about it, and we prayed, and we felt like the Lord was challenging us hardcore to give a large sum of money away. Like by far the largest we ever would have given away. And uh, it's interesting too, because you know, when you're struggling with greed, you know, greed is a, an evil spirit. It comes from the enemy. He's the one that perpetuates greed in our life, right? When you wanna defeat an evil spirit in your life, one of the best practical things you can do is to come in the opposite spirit. So if you're feeling greedy and you're wanting to you know, hoard all your money and just rake it in as much as you can to break that spirit off of you, the thing to do is the opposite of that, which is to give. Okay. So the Lord challenged us to give, and we gave a large sum of money, more than we could even afford, to a certain ministry. Okay. And later found out that that ministry was actually misusing, horribly misusing funds. And there's a really, really good chance that a significant portion of what was given to that was misused. Now that frustrated me and I wouldn't give to that again, but it didn't change my heart in any way as far as being generous or, or being, uh, letting God tell me what he wants me to do with my money. Because the reality is I'm still storing up treasures in heaven because of my obedience and because of my generosity. If that end over there didn't work out well, that's on them and they're gonna answer for that. But I'm still called to be generous. I'm still called to be faithful with what God has given me and what he has entrusted me with because I am a steward of what he has given me in my life. In fact, that's my next point, is that we have to shift from ownership mindset to a stewardship mindset, okay? This is actually really important for us, and I think it can be life-changing for us, too, in some ways. So there's a difference between owning something and stewarding something, right? Stewardship really means that it's not yours. You're just responsible to make sure it's handled According to the owner's wishes. Okay? So let's, let's look at it this way. Let's say some of you probably babysat before, had a friend, had a, one of your kids brought a friend over overnight, and you're having to, you're responsible for that child while they're in your house, right? I remember when our kids were little, they would do that. Kids would come over, and when there was a kid at the house with your kid, especially when they were little, you know, if you don't see your kids when it's just you and the family at home, you don't see your kids for a couple hours, that's actually a blessing. All right? I mean, let's just be honest, you know. Hey, I got a good break. Something's entertaining them. But when you have another child at your house that's not yours, I mean, if it's been five minutes, where are they? Where'd they go? I hear water running. What's going on, right? Probably drinking bleach or something. I mean, just your mind goes to the worst places. And you just watch them like a hawk, right? Because there's no way on earth I'm gonna give this child back in any worse condition than I got him, right? I mean, that's just, there's no way. And your your levels are just heightened. You're just you're taking much better care of that child than you ever would take care of your own. And your child's looking at you going, you're not ever that good to me. I'm giving you freedom, son. (laughs) Or if you borrow somebody's car, right? When you borrow somebody's car, you're given full distance to the car in front of you, right? I mean, 10 car lengths, whatever I need to give you, you can have it no matter what. If you just pull out in front of me, I'm just gonna slow way down. If you're in your car and somebody pulls out in front of you, you're seeing the moles on the back of their neck, right? Because you are right there, letting them know that you're not happy. But if it's a borrowed car, oh man, I mean, the worst thing in the world that could happen would be to take somebody's car back that you borrowed with dings all over it, right? If any of you ever had to do that, that's not a good day, I'm sure. But that's how we are with things that we're just stewarding in the moment. Can I tell you today, you are stewarding every dollar you have. You're a steward of it, you don't own it, church. If you are a follower of Jesus, okay, you do not own your money. It's all his. Everything is his. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything thereof, everything you've given, it's actually a gift from him to you. He's just asking you to steward it well. You might say, well, it's not a gift. I work hard for it. It's still a gift. The fact that you can work hard is a gift. The fact that you have a brain that can do computer programming is a gift. The fact that you can hammer a nail and not beat your thumb to death is a gift. Okay, anything you can do to earn any money you get is a gift from God, which means all of it is his anyway. He says, I want you to steward it, which really takes the pressure off of us, guys. It really takes the pressure. I just, I just gotta make sure I take care of it. And I listen to him when he speaks to my heart, when he prompts me to do something. And I follow the principles of his word to make sure that I'm lined up with him and we can trust that he's going to be there for us and help take care of us in our life. When we steward well, we reap well. 2 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul said, "'Remember this, whoever sows sparingly "'will also reap sparingly, "'and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. "'Each man should give what he has decided "'in his heart to give, not reluctantly "'or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver.'" Now, I love this verse, but it's also been abused and twisted by lots and lots of ministries. I use quotes because... I just don't believe God's heart for us is that we would ever try to manipulate, or maybe even heart, maybe even not intentionally, but not even understanding the scriptures when we teach it. Okay, because so many times this has been used like, oh, if you, if, you sow, you know, if you sow abundantly, you're gonna reap abundantly. If you sow a lot, you're gonna have to open up another checking account to hold all your money. And it's just not, that's not what this verse is saying. This is talking about our heart. Paul says, I want you to give what you have decided in your heart to give because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, you will reap what you sow. We understand sowing and reaping. We understand those principles. In fact, you know, Pastor Mullen used to talk about it all the time. In the practical, we fully understand that. We fully understand if I sow green beans, I'm not going to reap tomatoes. In fact, if you plant green beans and you come out and there's tomatoes, you're going to think something's weird, and you're not going to eat those tomatoes. But in the spirit, for whatever reason, we want to think we can sow stinginess, selfishness, you know, just kind of, God, keep your hands off my money, but still reap the blessings of God in our life. And it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work. We reap what we sow. And I, I don't know about you, but I want to be able to give cheerfully. I want to be able to decide in my heart what I'm going to give and trust God that I, I, I'm not always this way, so I'm not gonna stand up here and be sanctimonious and say this is how I live my life, but I go through a lot of seasons in my life where I'm, I'm like excited if I feel like God's telling me to do more than I can do on my own because that tells me that he's going to provide. That tells me he's gonna meet me in that place. If he says, you know, give more money than you can afford right now and I do it, it's a little scary, but then I've I've done it enough that I'm like, okay, God, that's great. That means I can trust you, right? And he's always come through, I've never missed, never missed a meal in my life except the ones I've chosen to miss, okay? That's just how good our God is. Now I know, um, you know, we talk about giving, We we, we have to mention, we talk about tithing And I know that tithing is is a hot button for debate in the church. Um, I'm going to let scholars argue about whether tithing is is an Old Testament or a New Testament principle. The reality is, when you look at it in the Old Testament, especially Malachi, you know, God tells the children of Israel they were supposed to bring a tithe into the storehouse, into the temple to take care of the Levites, to take care of the temple. It was kind of a temple tax is what it was. And he says, if you will bring your tithe into the storehouse, I will bless you. I will, your barns will overflow to where you can't even handle it anymore. In fact, this is one of the places in the Bible where he says, you can go ahead and test me. Go ahead and test me, and I will show you that I will be faithful in this. And so, and we see that that, um, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek way back even before the law. So this isn't something that just came from the law. Um, It was something that preceded it. And then when Jesus was on the earth and he was talking to the Pharisees, he rebuked the Pharisees because they were tithing. They were diligent about their tithing, but they were neglecting other matters of the law. Now, when he rebuked them, though, he said, you should you should keep doing, you should do the matters of the law, the other ones, too, without neglecting the tithe. So he encouraged them to tithe. But then we have the new covenant that comes after Jesus rose from the dead, right? You don't see a lot of the mention of tithe in the new covenant, but if anything, it seems like they took it to another level. The generosity skyrocketed in the new covenant. And for me, that, that's, that's kind of what I take to my heart, is that, you know, we decided a long time ago in our family that, the 10% was gonna be the baseline for us. Like, that's, that's what we give no matter what, and anything above that is like, if God leads us to give somewhere else, we'll do that, but we would never go below that. Not that we think it's a matter of religion, or ritual, or law, that if you don't do it, God's not gonna bless you, but, but I do believe that God wants us to be generous, and that is what I thought he has put on my heart. I know that's what most Christians that give, that's, what they, that's the percentage that they go by, because that's what we see in the word, and it, it seems to make sense, because it is a sacrifice, it's not, you know, it's not like giving 2%, but it's also something that if we're diligent and smart, we can handle as well. So we see God's blessing in that. But generosity is an attitude. It's not about how much you give. We need to understand that it is not, you can actually give a lot to a church, or your neighbors, your friends, to coworkers, everywhere you see need, you can give a lot and actually not be generous, because generosity is an attitude. And you can also give little and be generous. We see a great example of it, actually, in, uh, in Mark 12, Jesus is in the temple. People are in there throwing their offerings in the, in the temple bucket, the offering bucket. And uh, I, I read somewhere that uh, the, the way they, they put the coins in the temple offering bucket, was there was like stuff in there that made it really jingle when you threw money in. The more you threw in, the louder it got. You know, so these guys would wanna come in and throw a bunch of coins and that thing would make a ton of noise. And you know, If it made a lot of noise, it would make people turn their head and look and ooh really given a lot today there, brother Joseph, right? And so these guys are giving their big offerings. And here comes this little widow woman. She drops in two coins that were worth less than a penny. And Jesus notices it. I'm gonna read in Mark 12, 43. He says, he called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow gave out of, uh, has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything All that she had to live on. Now listen, church, this verse, I'm I'm so guilty of this sometimes, just reading over something and kind of just trucking through it and keeping on going. But if you stop and look at this, and you just try to envision this scene, Jesus is just standing there in the temple watching people put their offering in. And this woman comes up and does what she did. It says he actually had to call his disciples over. It made such an impact on Jesus. He said, hey, Peter, John, James, come here, get over here. And he asked, made him come over because he said, I want you to see this lady. I want you to understand he's teaching them something here that's for us today as well. He's saying, this woman gave more than all these guys. These guys just gave a little bit to make it look like they were doing a lot because they had a lot of money, but her giving everything she had, it shows what? It shows her heart. It shows that she trusts God. I'm telling you, everything when we talk about generosity and giving and money, it it all comes back to our heart. Jesus says, if I can get your heart, I'll have everything because that's what he cares about because the heart and the treasure are always going to be connected. So what do we do? I want to give you just a few quick practical things that we do, that we can do to help cultivate this in our life. First of all, we have to know what the word says. Okay, I mentioned earlier there's 2,000 scriptures that talk about money. I encourage you to read every one of them. Don't buy into this idea that if you're going to get consistent life change in your life, that just hearing a couple scriptures on this screen on a Sunday morning is going to do it. This Sunday morning is meant to kind of give you some tools and give you kind of a little shove, but then you've got to be doing it on your own too. You've got to be in the word. You've got to be understanding God's heart because that's where change comes in our life. You've got to make sure you know God's word. Here's the deal, church. We are wired to be stingy. Every one of us. Every single one of us is born selfish and stingy with our finances. And there's different levels of that. Some of you, even before you were saved, might have been kind of generous to people, and that's fine. But ultimately, it's usually coming out of abundance, not where you're really sacrificing, because that's not how we're wired. We have to get a spiritual solution to this spiritual issue, and that's only coming through the word. Also, we pray for eyes to see. Pray for eyes to see. That is such a great prayer for us to pray. It's scary, because when God opens your eyes, sometimes it's terrifying, just like he did for Isaiah. When he opened Isaiah's eyes, if you read in Isaiah 6, where God gave Isaiah this experience, where he brought him into the throne room of God, and he says, "I I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the angels, the seraphims were in there, they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and it's this unbelievably epic scene that you just know when you read it that words don't do it justice. It's an incredible experience, so much so that when Isaiah sees this, the first thing out of his mouth, he says, I'm ruined, I'm ruined because I've seen. I'm ruined because my eyes have been opened. It's almost like he's saying, you know, before I saw this, I could get by. Before I saw this, I could get by just being a pretty good guy and just, you know, not being being as bad as some of the guys that I know that we talk about all the time that are horrible, but just being kind of that middle of the road guy, that's gonna be good enough for God, right? But then when you actually see it, he says, woe is me for I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. See, now he's seen it. He's seen that he's unclean. He's seen that he's flawed. He's seen that he's a sinner. He's seen his heart because he's seen God. But what's so beautiful about this story is that it says the seraph goes down and takes a coal off of the fire and touches his lips with it. It's a symbolic gesture of letting him know that you've been forgiven, that you've been cleansed. He said, this has touched your mouth. Now you're clean. And so when he saw what he saw, and then he actually got to experience the generosity of his God... His immediate response, God says, who's gonna go for us? And Isaiah immediately stands up, says, here am I, send me. Once you've experienced the generosity of God, once you've seen the generosity of God with your own eyes, it is almost impossible not to respond in kind. Almost impossible, but you have to have eyes to see. And the thing is, you can't make somebody else see it. I feel like I've seen it. I've seen the goodness of God in my life. I've seen his generosity in ways that is overwhelming at times to me. And I have no other option than to give myself and to give my life to him. And that includes my money, that includes my family, my relationships, my health, my my choices, everything I do, it's all his. Every bit of it, because I've experienced his generosity, I have no other choice but to give it back. Praise God. And then finally, we give to good soil. As much as I say, you know, it's, it's not as much about where you sow seed as it is your heart in it, it's still good and diligent for us to give to good soil. And I just want to take a moment today to tell you that I believe New Hope is good soil. I've been here for 22 years. This is easily the most generous church I've ever experienced in my life and been involved in. And I just get the the blessing of getting to help carry on that tradition. I realize even giving this message, I'm preaching to the choir in a lot of ways because many of you are so unbelievably generous and you've already experienced this in your life. I still think it's good for us to be reminded and to be encouraged and challenged in it but it's important that we give to good soil and it's because of your generosity that we've been able to do so many things around here it's it's why we can do a lot of things without even having to charge for it we do the gatherings free of charge we did this huge event two nights ago this the amazing chemistry show that we didn't charge a nickel for it there were about 500 people here many of whom i know are not even churched and they got to hear the gospel it was an incredible night we were able to do it completely free of charge because of you and that's amazing and we're thankful for it and we have kids' budgets and youth budgets that we just give these ministries so they can do what they're doing and we don't have to charge much for anything like that either. And it's because of the generosity of the church. And, you know, I just want to take kind of a moment here and kind of brag on you guys because there's, there's places that we've been able to sow some incredible seed because of the people of this church. And I just want to list a couple of them just real quickly for you because I want you to see it. Uh, first of all, we support the bridge ministry, Pastor Roger. That ministry came out of this church, but he's his own... Separate organization now. We still support them every month. We're able to give them a financial gift every single month to help them. They minister to the homeless under the 15th, bridge, 15th Street Bridge every Saturday. Seeing countless salvations and people that are ministered to and fed. It's a powerful ministry that we get to help support. Um, I Care, which is a ministry for, that, that helps get women out of abusive situations, out of human trafficking. Uh, that we're able to support them every month. They have incredible testimonies from what they do. Uh, we're so blessed to be able to help them. Uh, 1040 Hope Missions. Many, many of you know Ben Johnson, who uh, started that organization uh, over 10 years ago now, and he's ministering to Muslims. He's planting churches in the Middle East, in Muslim countries, in Muslim strongholds. He's planting these churches and seeing Muslims get saved and get passionately on fire for Jesus. And we have been there from the very beginning with him, and we, we're his biggest financial supporter that he has. And we are proud to do that, to bless him as he, as he ministers uh, the way he does. And then for the Gospel for Latin America, Michael Conway, we've been supporting him from day one where he's p- preaching the gospel in Colombia, down in South America. Powerful ministry that he has. Uh, also, the, uh, a ministry called the Prison Ministry of the CSRA. Our own Bill Colbert is involved in that where these men, they go into the, 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 the prisons here in the CSRA, like five different counties. They go in and they do Bible studies. These guys can opt to come if they want. They don't have to, but they get to share the gospel with these guys. They do it all day long, all the time. And we've helped supply Bibles for them. In fact, I just got an update from them this week that this year they've given over 500 Bibles to inmates in the CSRA, and they have preached the gospel to 2,000 of these young men. Incredible, powerful stuff, so exciting. Yes, praise God. Great stuff, we've been supporting them for years now, and it's so exciting. And then the most recent group that we're supporting is uh, Jackson and Hannah Taylor. And they are, uh, they are missionaries to Kenya. They were here a couple months ago and shared for a few minutes about their work among the Samburu tribe out in the, out in the sticks in Kenya. I mean, they are, they are doing what you, when we envision missionaries, what they do, they are doing it. And uh, in fact, I wanted to share this quick video this morning because we made this with them when they were here last time. We didn't get a chance to share it. But I want to take this opportunity to share it with you guys so you can see just where the money from New Hope is going for them. And they, they did this video as a thank you to us, thanking us. We're helping to support them. So watch this video.
1: My name is Jackson Taylor. And I'm Hannah Taylor.
2: And we are currently serving as missionaries in Kenya and serving the Samburu tribe.
1: So I grew up in the Augusta area and my wife is from Alpharetta, Georgia and we met at Georgia College in Milledgeville our senior year. Hannah had been to Africa a couple of times throughout college, and she always had a heart for the people of
2: Kenya. You know, my friends are going to all these cool places over the summer, and I had no plans. Um, So I started Googling just organizations that are going to Kenya, and I just picked a trip, I signed up, and I got accepted. Um, Once I got to Kenya, I just felt just this peace, I felt this peace being in Kenya that I was just where God had been calling me to be. And my heart just felt such a pull towards the people and um, all the relationships that I was making. And so ever since I was a freshman in college, I went every single year back to Kenya during the summer. And then Jackson and I met and we got engaged. And I told him, before you marry me, you have to come to Kenya (laughs) because I love Kenya and it's a huge part of my life.
1: Uh, We were married in 2017, and uh, we just felt like God was calling us to go and minister to these people. We tried to fight it as much as we could, as we often (laughs) do with God, but we just kept feeling like God was calling us, and we kept kind of pushing it off saying, God, yes, we will." But not right now, 2018. We felt like God was saying, now is the time. So it was the right thing to do to quit our jobs and tell our families, hey, we're moving halfway across the world. And uh, by the faithfulness of God, we were uh, on the field in May 2019.
2: For the whole first year, we were hand washing our laundry and hanging it up on the line. And you know, things that just seem so simple here. You know, I'm just going to throw my dishes in the dishwasher and turn on the, the uh, what is it called? The, I don't even know what it's, what's the thing that washes Washings. the clothes?
1: The <laughs> It's been too long. I'm
2: gonna turn on the dishwasher and throw my clothes in the laundry and turn on the laundry machine. <laughs> I can't even remember what it's called. Well, there's
1: a lot of machinery you're throwing out there. Uh, so, we've been serving in Kenya for a little under three years now, uh, and we're a part of a church planning team amongst one of the many tribes in Kenya. Uh, the tribe is the Samburu tribe. They're a uh, semi-nomadic tribe. Uh, When you think of the Bible, you think of shepherds, you think of David, uh, that's pretty much the people that we're working with.
2: And gosh, a day in our life looks different every single day. We're really relationship-driven, and you know, we can get a phone call saying, so-and-so has to go to the hospital, will you take them? And yes, because of your giving to New Hope missions, we have been able to supply our ministry with a vehicle. I'm a four-wheel drive vehicle that's allowed us to drive, how would you describe the road to Sagara? It's not a road.
1: I mean, it's (laughs) it's muddy. (laughs) (laughs) So having a four-wheel drive vehicle allows us to get to these areas so that we are able to serve these people. But what we do is we have planted a church after being on the field for about a year. Your giving to missions at New Hope has helped allow us to meet under a permanent structure Uh, We have been meeting together as a church for a year now, and the whole time we were actually meeting under a tree. Um, And yes, it's great for shade. It's not super protective for rain. And with the rainy season kind of coming up, uh, it was something that we definitely had a need for, because if it's raining and No one's going to want to sit under a tree and get soaking wet. You know, People would be willing to come and worship on Sunday, even if the weather was not good. And New Hope uh, has allowed us to build that structure through their support. And we're just thankful that we're able to meet together without uh, the threat of rain any longer. What we long to see is for God's people to come to know Him, to come to faith in Jesus Christ alone, uh, and to gather these people together into worshiping communities. Um, because there are not many churches that are truly teaching the word faithfully, uh, and it causes a lot of damage, and we've seen it in poverty-stricken areas, uh, and it breaks our heart, and it is one of the motivations that kind of keeps us going.
2: We just wanna thank all of you guys that have given um, towards our ministry personally and through the church. Um, It has allowed us to take the gospel to places that we didn't know um, was imaginable, and we couldn't do it without your help and without the body of Christ working together as one. Our
1: heart is to see indigenous leaders rise up in the churches and plant other churches. Um, We're not in this to kind of be there forever, but our goal is actually to work ourselves out of a job as people come to know the word uh, and glorify God through worshiping as the church.
0: Praise God, yes. That is because of the giving of this church. In fact, we—if I remember right—I think we paid completely for that that shelter that they use, which is uh, you would think wouldn't be very expensive, but it was actually very expensive. And um, you know, since then, I—I uh, I got an email from Hannah. So they—they uh, they were wanting to take food to uh, some of the poorest of the poor in this area, because they are in a severe drought, and um, so they were raising money to help to take food out to these people. And so we gave towards that. And I got an email from her a couple weeks ago saying that they took food to over 200 families, I think, in that area to feed them. And they said that some of the people they gave food to, was two weeks worth of food, some of the families they gave food to said they hadn't eaten in three days. That's how bad it is. And they said the next week when they had their next church service under that, that shelter that 50 people that they had given food to came to that church that had never heard the gospel and got to hear the gospel for the first time. So praise God for that, yeah. So it matters, being, being stingy is not a victimless crime. We are not called to be that, we're called to be generous for the glory of God. And uh, I do thank you guys for your, for your generosity, but I, I wanna encourage you and challenge you in your life um, to, to not just limit it to even just here or wherever your church is or whatever ministry you sew into, but to do that in your life. Because it, when you give to somebody, it also gives you an open door to speak into their life, to share the gospel. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, amen? Would you stand with me please? I wanna pray for all of us this morning, this afternoon. Just pray that God would, would help us, that this would, that this would challenge us, that this would be a catalyst for us to spur us on to a greater level of generosity. And listen, I do know for a fact that there are many generous people in this room right now, okay? I believe God's always calling us to another level of generosity in your life. Somebody in your life needs to experience your generosity, and it's not even always money. Sometimes it's your time. Sometimes it's just the giftings that God has given you to be generous towards people in your life. It will open doors you never dreamed could be open in life if we will practice that in our life, so Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that your word is our truth, your word is our life, your word is what we need to sustain us, God. And Lord, we know because of your word, we know that, that where our treasure is, our heart is too. That resonates with every one of us because we've, we've experienced it in our life. Lord, we want our treasure to be in you. We want our heart to be you. We want our heart to be fully committed to you, God, that we would not be the rich young ruler that wants to be all in until you wanna to touch our money, but God, that we would give you everything, that we would steward well. God, thank you for what you've given us, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be part of what you're doing. God, we wanna be faithful with what you've given us. God, I pray for generosity to sweep over the people in this room in Jesus' name, that we would we would be encouraged and challenged and excited to be generous in our life, with people that you put in our life, with the gifts that you've given us, God. Lord, we wanna be a people that that are living according to your word. Lord, we thank you that we reap what we sow. We wanna reap generosity, so we will sow generosity in our life. God, thank you for these ministries that we're able to support here at the church, Lord. Thank you for the blessing that we are able to be. And God, we pray that you would continue to further your kingdom through the giving into this church and out of this church for your glory, God. And we thank you for it today, Jesus. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Yes, let's praise God one more time. Thank you, Lord.